then here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hey, good morning. Hello. How are you? Good evening. Good afternoon. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever time of day it is that you're listening to the podcast, it is the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. And it is Friday, October the 6th, a little after uh, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm Rob Howe, joined by Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. We're a day after our normal podcast, had to make some rearrangements for uh, Big Ten schedule and news releases yesterday, uh, but we, which gave us more on, the, on our plate this week to talk about. We've got a ton of stuff. We've got basketball, media days, um, big football game this weekend, uh, Big Ten schedules, as I mentioned, for the next five seasons. Uh some changes in the gambling rules by the NCAA. Um, maybe the students will be next to the court at men's basketball games. A lot of stuff to get to today. How's your week been, Scott, besides busy? <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you get your head shoved into the water and you're trying to breathe. And then and it's like that, except uh, if the water was warm instead of cold and you had a, a dog take a leak on your <laughs> shoes, you know, it's just kind of this crazy, stupid week that I can't wait to end. So uh, but, yeah, it's been an incredibly newsy week and we've had mostly every week. Rob has been newsy for going all the way back to, I don't know, the, the whole year, because every single, every single week where it's not like we're going, yeah, what should we talk about today? I don't really have anything. Let's just make this quick. No, it's, it's like we have something in CAA or we have something about a transfer or injury, career, uh, season ending injury to the quarterback, which we, uh, and the tight end then the tight end and stuff. So it's just something every day. It seems like, and then this week has been probably crazier than the most. But hey, people want to know, and we're here to provide some information, and hopefully, it's taken as split the fact with opinion. Want to start with um, the Noah Shannon stuff, Scott? Because I think that's some of the newest information we got. That, and uh, you went over and had a chance to talk to Beth Getch yesterday as well, and. Um, Got some interesting feedback in various topics there. But um, so how do you think just based on and it's hard to predict because this has just been 
all just really disorganized and all over the place since the beginning, this gambling stuff dating back to whenever it was, was it April or May when we started to get into this with the NCAA and, you know, the state investigating this stuff in Iowa at Iowa and Iowa state. And we've seen the fallout from that. Um, And part of that fallout was Noah Shannon being suspended for the entire season, which effectively is the rest of his college career because this is his last season. Uh, But now it seems like Scott with some of the, um, common sense rule changes that came yesterday uh, that maybe there's a chance he gets back. We're already week six. I don't know how much he's practiced. I don't know how close he would be to playing uh, if he were cleared, but at least there's hope now. Yeah, I think right now he's – I think it's going to happen um, based on the the changes, and they're going to be retroactive. This isn't just like, well, for the next kid that gets caught, he's going to effect. No, they're they're retroactive, and they're going to be by the end of the month is when everything is going to be voted upon. And Beth even said yesterday when I talked to her about it that she doesn't think that uh, they need to resubmit anything. That it just will apply. And, um, but as you said, you know, there's a difference. And she kind of mentioned this too that there's a huge difference between, like, say, the wrestlers and and football, not only for season, but for game shape. Uh, Wrestlers can go to the wrestling club and work out Mm -hmm. and um, work out with one another, you know, at a gym or something. You can't do that with football. Uh, You know, Noah Shannon can't just say, hey, let's, let's call up, you know, take your pick from former player who lives nearby and let's work out together. But he has been around the program and he has helped the program. So I think right now what they are seeking and they called immediately when this news came out, which was they want clarity on whether or not he can start practicing again, because once he is ruled suspended and the appeal is shot down, he can't practice. But now there's they're wondering, well, can he come back to practice because let's say it it will take a little time because everything has to go through its bureaucratic channels and yes we can complain about that all we want but that's not going to make a difference but but what it does mean is that if the NCAA and I would I would expect them to get some sort of clarity by this weekend on this is yeah he can go ahead and practice again and then that means say next week he's maybe he's working with scout team and who knows, maybe by the Minnesota game or maybe at the very latest, the Northwestern game, you've got a two-year starter who's a sixth-year player with fresh legs <laughs> and no bumps and bruises being able to walk out there and, and play football. That That's uh, for all the bad news Iowa's had for a while, that would be a godsend, you know, especially heading down the stretch. Yeah, no question. It would be awesome for Noah – Uh, going from, you know, that disappointment that I can't even imagine how that news hit him when he was told that he was suspended for the season to now actually having an opportunity. Even if he comes back for three or four games, it's something that he wasn't going to be able to play, you know, earlier this week, he didn't think that was going to happen. So, um, and, you know, I don't think it's irony, but just from a, a timetable standpoint, he was still working his way back in the in the early season in, in camp when this stuff started to go down. So he probably wouldn't have been healthy at the beginning of the season anyway, or at least would have been rusty and working his way back. So he, 
you know, he probably would have played. It would have been, you know, would have been on limited snap count, things like that. So uh, he should be healthy now is what is the point I'm trying to make. And hopefully that helps him, you know, the, the curve of getting himself back into game shape isn't as long right now. And I don't know what he's been doing. I mean, he's going to practice and helping the team out. I mean, he could be working out. He could be doing stuff I'm on sure his own to keep himself, you know, in shape because he still wants to prepare for a shot at the NFL in the spring and winter and spring. So um, that would be great. And with the injuries I was had, uh, it would be great to see him back. And as much, and I think Scott would agree with this, as much as it'd be great for Iowa, the program, I, I feel great for the kid because I don't think the punishment fit the crime. Yeah, you're right. This was make an example. And in in his case, now there were other players, whether they're still on the, you know, you know, one who's still on the team is still suspended. And then, and then there are others who've left this program who deserve what they got, you know, and, uh, and a couple of them specifically that have, you know, that transferred deserve what they got. Although I think right now there's going to be, you know, whether it's through the legal system or the NCAA, there's going to be a, uh, some players who might have an opportunity. We never thought they would. However, all those rules apply to people who didn't bet on their own team. And that's what the case with Noah Shannon was. He got caught because he bet on his own school, you know, and in his case and in, in his defense, this wasn't one of those, where a lot of guys were betting, what you know, thousands of dollars. I don't know how much he spent, but the the, the amount of bets seems to be one. Is that right? I mean, you know that it's the women's basketball tournament, and that's it. I mean, Kirk even mentioned that the other day. He bet on a basketball game. You know, so if that's the case, then wow, uh, like what Beth said yesterday, that was unduly harsh. And I think that's, we can all agree to that. And then the way he's conducted himself is so beyond what um, you would expect from somebody of that age to go through the process that he's going through. It's been admirable, you know, to starting back in July when, you know, Iowa considers it a great honor. And I think most players do to represent the program at big 10 media days. That's a big deal. And for him to, uh, turn that down because of the ongoing investigation, then to talk to local writers about it and then have to uh, step aside, but still with the program. I talked to him on Saturday, Rob, when he was on the sidelines and I came up to him and he was sitting down on the bench. And I said, Hey, I just want to tell you good luck. I really appreciate all you've done here. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think very highly of you and I hope you do well. So the fact is that he now gets that chance, kind of like a modern day Lazarus when it comes to football, uh, what a great story. And if, and if Iowa somehow the next two games um, pulls them out and then you have an infusion of a player like this, yeah, you know, I was, I was in pretty decent shape, especially for a defensive line that's, that's playing well, but not necessarily getting to the quarterback and disrupting the quarterback the way it probably should. Yes, and we'll see how this goes and transpires. Again, it is the NCAA, so what you – would look at from a common sense and it's like, you know, uh, what we may see as common sense and, you know, the right way to do something or the streamlined way to do something doesn't happen. As Scott said, with the NCAA, it's bureaucratic. It doesn't always make sense. 
And we're kind of at the mercy now. So I, I feel good about his chances of coming back. But until he's completely cleared, I'm still skeptical because it's the NCAA. Yeah, and that's fair because it is, you know, next to the federal government, it's probably the most bureaucratic agency in our country. And and things can slip through the cracks. But the, the timetable here is different than most of the time where, you know, something like this in the past would have been adjudicated. OK, we're going to do this, but then we're going to wait till the full council has a chance to vote on it in January. And, you know, no, they're going to expedite this through the end of the month. And I think that in that situation, that means, you know, maybe it becomes an eight game suspension officially. Maybe maybe they speed it up to where he gets to play even as soon as next week. That's unlikely. But, you know, you can dream big. And if he can, I wouldn't suggest he starts. I think you want to put him on a pitch count a little bit, but mm-hmm. but let him play because, you know, they can certainly use him. That's for sure. And as you said at the top, and we can wrap this conversation with that, um, let him get back to practice. That doesn't hurt anything. And then if yeah. he doesn't, if it happens where there's a snag and he, he you know, you're, you don't clear him for games right away. At least let him get back into shape. So if you do, if and when you do clear him, he's ready to go. Yeah, that's that's the fairest thing they can do because they can see this. It's going to happen. I mean, for somebody with his, um, you know, what, what he ended up doing, I think is really, you know, something that is going to have to, uh, you know, th- th- he's going to be able to come back. So they, they should allow that. And it spills over to other sports too, Rob. I mean, it spills over to wrestling. And yesterday, uh, Tom Brands was um, in the PCA meeting and talked a little bit about a little bit about the situation and get too deep into it, but he, he views it as a positive development for the program there. And, and uh, you know, they could go from having what I think, I think it's four wrestlers that are currently going to be out for the season to maybe all of them being eligible um, because it's a first time offense. As long as they didn't bet on the wrestling team, that's kind of hard to do that. <laughs> There's got to be somewhere where you can. Yeah, I'm sure you can somewhere, but that would have to be like, hey, we're going to the Penn State Iowa duel. I don't think many people are taking bets on, on collegiate wrestling these days. Yeah, so hopefully uh, it's a positive impact for the wrestling team as well, which also connects to the football team because I know they were trying to get Ben Keeter prepared for wrestling in case he needed to jump into the lineup this year. Maybe that doesn't happen now. And Ben was dressed and warming up with the football team on Saturday, finally got some photos of him warming up. So it's all kind of interconnected here. Hopefully the overarching result of this is that There are common sense rules in place about this because I think Scott and I have been pretty consistent with this. If you bet on your own team, we really don't have any sympathy for that. I mean, that is, that's a, that's the core, that's the base core level of no nos when it comes to gambling and sports. Beyond that, I think they're, as Kirk has said all along, they needed to revisit the rules and make them modernized by based on the landscape in our country where it's become such a it's it's just common now it's everywhere free game shows give you the line betting against the spread everybody we talk about it on here every week with our picks i mean it's just part of the fabric now and i don't i mean you have to hold the student athletes to a certain standard when it comes to the rules and the integrity of the game but you don't have to be overreaching like the point when it used to be when they, they had to go to their bookies. Yeah. You know? 
you know? Well, exactly. All this is, it's legal betting. It's, you know, it's through betting apps, which, you know, again, way back in the old days, you you would have to go to a bookie or, you know, and then that's shady stuff. That's where point shaving and all that kind of stuff can come in and arm twisting and, you know, the really illegal activity, the shady stuff. Now it's, it's commonplace. It's not taboo anymore to gamble. Um, You know, people have choices to make, you know, you have different, uh, you know, different things like, uh, you know, it used to be what you'd have bookies, but you'd have like Las Vegas and Atlantic city and indigenous people's uh, casinos (laughs) that you can bet on, you know, now it's, you know, then it was river boats, but they didn't have sports books. Now you have sports books, you have apps, all that it's legal and it's everything's sponsored and, and colleges take money from it. So I, I think it's like Iowa. Yeah. And, and the collective, both exactly. the collective and the university athletic department get money from casinos. Exactly. So it's, it's really, <laughs> how do you say hypocritical, you know, that, you know, I, I could take money from casinos, but you can't, do the thing that they're trying to advertise. You can't bet $5 on the women's basketball team playing in the final four. Right. So, I, I mean, to me, at this point, my views have changed a little bit from the very beginning. I was a little bit more on the stronger side, and now I'm a little more on the laissez-faire side. And and I, I think if, they, if the NCAA made a rule that you can't bet on your team and you can't bet on your sport, I'm fine with that. You bet on your sport, you're out for a year. If you're if you bet on your team, you're out for life. I think you I'd know? even be okay if you can't bet on your school. Yeah, you know, sp- sports teams at your school because we've talked about kind yeah. of the the you know the the pitfalls of that with these different athletes being in the same social circles and talking to each right. other, and and I can see that bringing into question integrity of the game. Yeah, I can too. And, you know, and of course, it brings into the question of Noah Shannon at this point, you know, he bet on his school and he knows it and it's wrong. And but, you know, to it's kind of like getting busted for everybody else's speeding. You get caught and then all of a sudden you got to go to jail uh, because in, in this even though everybody else is going past 80 and 20 miles an hour in this county, that law is that you got to go to jail if you're driving 20 over, even though everybody else is. So I, I think in this case. He served his punishment. It's, it was excessive. I mean, what, wouldn't have any punishment, but, but ultimately you can't re- rewind the past. You, you know, it's, it's somebody who's falsely convicted of a crime and goes to prison and then they're found to be innocent through, um, evidence. You know, you can't rewind it and say, okay, now you're 20 again, even though you're 38. Uh, but in this case, he has the opportunity to put up, you know, maybe, uh, I hate to say it this way, but it might end up being the best thing for him, you know, if you think about it, because yeah, he was, he wasn't even clear to practice in in the beginning of August and with his shoulder surgery in the off season and everything. So the fact is that now he's healthy, could be working out and could be in better physical shape than everybody else around him. He might look pretty good. And that, and that would be a real boost to this team and this program in a stretch run. Now, you know, they've got a couple of tough, you know, I think tough games for them this week and next, but you know, if they can get through that, that might just be an infusion of, of good luck and good times for Iowa that they really haven't had for a long time. 
justice would be served there if he was able yeah. to come back, be really healthy, be a, a badass on the field, put some stuff on film for the NFL, and then use that to get into the league next year. All of that would be a great end to this crazy, crazy saga. Uh, you also, also talked to Beth Scott about potential changes at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. Yes, everybody loves that. People want to blow that place up or at least – make some changes to it that we've, and some of the changes that we've talked to now, we've talked about now for what, a quarter of a century? <laughs> it, feels, it feels like forever, you know. Uh, I remember me and you used to be on good call, one on one day, one on the next. And Why are and people we, leaving Carver Hawkeye with five minutes left to go in the game yeah, and walking up the steps? It's the same conversation we've yeah. had for decades. Yeah, it, it is, and it's <laughs> agitating, uh, aggravating as well. But, you know, it... I, you know, what she had to say was they just finished a, a, a feasibility story on a study on Carver Hawkeye Arena and a lot of the things that they looked at that they are going to look at closely, fan amenities and, uh, you know, probably seating capacity will be another, but also <clears throat> moving students closer to the to the floor. And I after the fact, I asked her about it and she's pretty committed to that. Now, it probably won't be this year. But when, you know, and they've got to go through the whole process of redesign, um, you know, spending money, getting all the money from the donors to, to build, rebuild this thing. And then, uh, then Break that's the probably news to the lady knitting a scarf that she may have to move up a few rows. Yeah, exactly. Move back, move up somewhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So all of that is something that, uh, you know, it, it, it is on now officially out in the, the ether. So it's something that's going to, you know, happen. And, and, you know, from, you know, Gary Barta may have had those same thoughts on at times, but he's, he never acted on them for 17 years. He never acted on any of that. So for Beth gets to be in just barely her second month as uh, interim AD to, to really say those things out loud, it just shows that, you know, that this is something that matters and something she's committed to and, you know, she talked about the atmospheres and great college basketball facilities and that how the students being close to the floor, how it matters and elevates the environment. And, and uh, so, you know, what will it do, Rob? I mean, is this something that's just been I mean, it's first of all, it's another step like uh, putting a Tiger Hawk on the water tower or at center or at the 50 yard line. It's, it's kind of, but this is like the biggest one of all, you know, moving students closer to the floor. But, um, you know, part of what I've always said is, well, they don't show up to all the games anyway. So you just have a big spot of emptiness. However, now if you move them to the floor, maybe it's it entices them to come to those games even. So I don't know what, what say you, cause we both have talked about this subject for, decades now yeah whatever they can do to liven up freshen up make it a more a bigger home court advantage at carver because you and i am both and i'm sure plenty of people that are listening to the podcast and fans have been to other arenas and seen other environments you know michigan state comes to mind but you're talking about you know some of the top level arenas you know nationally when you talk about michigan state and indiana and some of those environments and and I don't think you, I think you strive to be that, but I think you just need to take care of what works for you and 
make the changes you think that can just slowly bring things up. Because ultimately, you have to have a winning program. Winning is the thing that ultimately brings the most people in. But from a student perspective, give them some pizza. I saw them do that a few times last year. It does help attendance when you tell them, hey, you know, we'll give you, you know, uh, something free to eat and we'll move you closer to the stadium. You're right behind the visiting bench. (laughs) You can scream at Izzo the whole game, you know, and – that can be an advantage home court wise. And then I just logistically, Scott, there needs to be, I really think that one of the main, uh, I guess, reconfigurations of that arena is to make it so people don't have to go all the way to the top for maybe concessions, or, but bathrooms especially. It's a long walk and it's hard for some people to do that they have to make the whole arena more fan friendly, not just for the students. Yeah, this is, this is next level stuff, Rob. This is what we see at other places. I mean, it, it, it's simple, right? In the past, I remember, you know, probably when I was, especially when I was touring or, you know, going around the big 10 for about eight years with the Gazette, I would say the one arena that stands out to me the most is the Schottenstein center value city arena at Ohio state. And one of the things they had was ushers, you know, walking up and down with uh, soda and, and popcorn or whatever. And, you know, I, I look at this is the, the backwards thought of, of Carver Hawkeye Arena for the last two decades, Rob. It's that the people who probably spend the most on the tickets, who are closest to the floor, have the farthest to go to use the bathroom, to go buy, you know, concessions. So how many times, even us in the press area, us old dudes, sit there and go, yeah, I can hold it. Or, well, even though I, I need to, I'm kind of hungry, I need to go get something, but eh, forget it. You know, and because we only, you know, they only have that one restroom that's kind of, you know, out of the way, right in that, uh, the alley, the tunnel area. And it's like, this isn't fan friendly at all. No. I mean, I, well, I think the line after games to get on the one elevator to get yeah. people that are handicapped up to the top. I mean, it's, that, those are the types of things that I think making it uh, a better experience for the fans when they go there. So it's not, I mean, again, you have to win basketball games, but make it lo- logistically feasible for people to have a good time and it not be like you said, if you're sitting there and going, it's not a good experience if you're sitting down, you know, row 10 and you're like, man, I really have to go to the bathroom, but I don't want to miss the game. Yeah, I don't want to miss, you know, five minutes of of action. Right. And and there are other, you know, and because it's it's an arena and the way it was built, it was built literally in a crater that, you know, you've got to there's no concourse. So you've got to go all the way up. And I know some people say, well, that's just lazy to talk about. Well, no, fans are customers and you got to serve your customers. And this is one where it's for the better part of 25 years, it's been you know, let's turn out the sign game today and come in and that's it, you know, and whether it's food, it's been mediocre at best for the most part, except for ice cream cones and, uh, and the lack of restrooms and facilities and the unease of, you know, God, I got to walk all the way up there. And you're talking about elderly fans. Maybe they're knitting, maybe they're reading, maybe they're into the game, but trying to walk, you know, 40 steps all the way up to the top and, you know, you get to the top and you're breathing heavy and then you got to 
shuffle around and try to find the bathroom or or buy some nachos or a hot dog, your two main options. It's just, it, 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 the whole thing is stale and we know it and we've talked about it and people have talked to us about it, but I always been unwilling to, to really, I think there's been a lot of things they could have slapped some lipstick on that pig and been okay for a little while and they've chosen not to do any of it. And now I think they can at least do some of that. But, you know, I think the one thing that is unique, though, Rob, about Iowa uh, that I've noticed over the years versus even other places, even Iowa State and Wisconsin, which are kind of their kissing cousins, is the the amount of people who want to stand versus the amount of people who want to sit. And there's the, you know, the students are one thing. But, I mean, I'm even just regular fans who want to stand for a lot of the game and really get into it versus people who want to sit and enjoy the game that way. And it might behoove Iowa to have, maybe call it the perch and maybe have a different seating area, bring some of the court closer to, or some of the seats closer to the floor, maybe have it, you know, say like the, uh, the, the area where we are, like maybe in that corner, bring in, bring it all the way in, have a little club in, in the back, have like, uh, again, like a perch over the top. This is a sitting area. You can enjoy the game and, you know, and that way, some fans will feel more comfortable saying, yeah, I, I can sit and enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then have an area that's like, hey, this is a standing, this is, you know, standing room, not necessarily only because there's times that everybody's going to sit, but beware, you're not going to be here and somebody's in front of you cheering. Don't say, hey, come on, we're trying to watch the game. So that's unique to Iowa. And I think it's something that needs to be probably discussed early in this process. Interesting to see how this all shakes out. Hopefully, in the end, it improves the Carver Hawkeye Arena experience for everybody. Uh, let's do Big Ten schedule, Scott, and then we'll dive into Iowa football on the other side of a break. Um, uh, from a micro perspective here, which is Iowa, uh, for those that have not seen this, uh, next year we know it's conference games wise, uh, 2024, Iowa will be at Maryland. Michigan State, Minnesota, Ohio State, and UCLA, Nebraska, Northwestern, Washington, and Wisconsin come to Kinnick Stadium. Um, and then just kind of, uh, you guys can check this out. It's all over the place, and I don't want to go through all five seasons. But uh, USC, uh, I will be at USC in two thousand. 25 along with Rutgers, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. Uh, looking at home games coming in, you have Oregon, you have Washington coming in in 24, Oregon coming in in 25 to Kinnick Stadium, Ohio State coming to Kinnick in 26, uh, Michigan in 27, along with USC and UCLA. Those are the, the home games in 2027, if I'm still around, are really good. Maryland, okay. Michigan, Minnesota, UCLA, and USC. Uh, and then 2028, you have uh, Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, and Wisconsin at home. That's not great, but uh, uh trip to USC. So a couple trips to USC in here, Scott, one to UCLA. I have that right. Yeah, a couple to USC, one to UCLA. Uh, Ohio State, Michigan involved in that as well. I like it. I, I, I looked at those schedules yesterday. I'm like, this is good stuff. 
It is. And I, I wrote, I, I covered it in the morning, kind of the news of the day for the Big Ten, and then I wrote a Big Ten column. So I haven't been able to get really in the weeds with Iowa other than to say what's next year's schedule. That's <laughs> that's pretty much it. But I, I think overall that, you know, there are some things I really like about this. And and I think the Big Ten struck the best note uh, when it came to, to its schedule, kind of like it did in June. And that is that it allowed for history and rivalries to matter, but it also allowed for the cycling through of these teams in a consistent way. And instead of twice every four years, it's now going to be two or three times every five years. That's good. That's great. You know, you look at, you know, every single year, you you know, their first four years, you're playing either Washington or Oregon. That's pretty cool. You know, and then you get USC, you know, three times over that time period, you know, so you're getting you're getting the cycling through of these teams, plus the ones that are outside the official uh, rivalry status, like in Illinois and Northwestern, you're getting them um, with some regulator, Indiana, because they haven't been on the schedule very often. Um, so, and then, then the big, the, the traditional blue bloods of the Big Ten, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, and what have you. It's it's going to be a little different, but I think it's also pretty cool. So I I like this. I mean, look at um, look at 2025. That's probably a really good year when you think about it, where you get Oregon, Penn State, Michigan State comes back to Kinnick, uh, Minnesota is a tr- traditional rival, Indiana. I I, I kind of like that, you know, because Indiana has played Iowa, I think 80 plus times historically, and. And then you also go to both coasts and then, then two rivals then driving distance. So, and then of course, Iowa state. <laughs> yeah. so you can't and it makes some that. sense that Iowa plays the, the PAC 12 schools, right? We live closer than yeah. some of the, you know, so travel I think was taken into consideration here too. Um, again, we'll see what happens uh, with the non-revenue and basketball and, all those other sports and how they figure out those schedules. I think those are much more complicated than, than the football schedule. Oh yeah. Um, trying to figure out, you know, travel partners and all that other stuff. So hopefully they do right by the student athletes in regards to that. But uh, yeah, I think it's a, uh, it, you know, you look at these schedules, Scott, from a, a attractiveness standpoint for your fans and I think Iowa made out pretty well. You look at the home schedule, because this, if you look at this season's home schedule, it's not very attractive. And then if you look at the next five seasons home schedules, it's almost night and day. I mean, yeah. there, there isn't really a bad home schedule in there. Um, you get some intriguing matchups, even like next year, you get Nebraska, Northwestern, whatever is left of it. Um, although it's playing better than it, yeah. uh, we thought it would, but you know, you get Nebraska, Washington, and Wisconsin. Those are three attractive home and Iowa State. So yeah. you know, that's an attractive home schedule next year. Then the year after that, you get you know Oregon and Penn State, along with Minnesota playing for Floyd, and then as you said, Indiana and Michigan State, two tra- traditional Big Ten teams. And then twenty six, it's Nebraska, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Purdue coming yeah. in. So. I think fans should be excited about this. It's 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 not your father's Big Ten. No. It's good college football. I mean, think about other. You know, think about if you're in another conference uh, other than the SEC. Uh, yeah. it'd be, you'd be hard pressed to find uh, more attractive schedules than what the Big Ten has, and Iowa for that matter. 
Sure. And, and you look at the teams that they brought in this time around, Rob, and it's, um, you know, if you think about what the, some of the past uh, expansion candidates could have been, you know, like a Yukon or a Virginia or something, you, you go, oh, yeah, we're going to play Virginia, but not Illinois. I mean, that, but, but you're saying, hey, we're going to play Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA. That's okay. Now you're, you're, you're playing some, some major league teams here. And, and I look at, you know, probably the most attractive one of all is 27. Yeah. When you're looking when, when you're looking at Michigan, USC, UCLA, Floyd being at home, Maryland, which is uh, I think this year is a very attractive team to watch. Um, and then you're going not only to you know your two rivals, but Indiana and, and uh, I mean I'm sorry and Indiana of course too, but Nebraska and Wisconsin. But then also you're going to Oregon uh, for the first time since I think '94. I think is the last time they went there, which was a million years ago. By then. Uh, these are these are great um so you know the one thing that they did and i i was a little fa- interested in when we talked yesterday uh to tony Petiti and carrie kenny was uh they were intrigued they they thought about a couple of different paths one was protect all four of the pac 12 schools together uh usc ucla washington oregon have them play one another every year but it turned out that they weren't as that wasn't a priority for them because they're in separate divisions now anyway. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, they're in North South divisions of the PAC 12, but also um, they thought they, they wanted to make it. So everybody's part of the same conference that everybody plays each other more, not less. So it's not, you know, Iowa is the only school to have three rivals still uh, Washington and Oregon are going to play each other as a rivalry game, which is a major rivalry game. It's, it's a lot like Iowa, Wisconsin. It's one of those under the radar nationally, but locally it is a big deal. And, and so you have that and, um, but that way they can have these, you know, they can go to Penn state, they can go to Rutgers. They, with same regularity, they come to Iowa and Minnesota and Nebraska. So I think this is really cool. The, the one thing that we're going to see more of Rob starting next year, more Friday night games. Um, there'll be a Friday night game pretty much every week now. And uh, now it, like Michigan won't be a Friday night game. They, they've said absolutely not. And, you know, sometimes if you are a big boy, you get a chance to exert your authority. So they did. And Kinnick won't be another one either, you know, except for maybe on Labor Day weekend. But, uh, but that, but Iowa can play on a Friday night on the road and, and you're going to get a lot of those and they're going to get Saturday after dark out in California. They have not decided whether that's going to be primarily PAC 12 team or former PAC 12 teams playing night games against one another or other regional schools like in non-conference, or if that means that, all right, Iowa, you're going to UCLA, you're going to play Pac-12 after dark, <laughs> you know, on a Saturday, Saturday night. They'll be better than Arizona, I can promise you that. that those games sucked, <laughs> you know, with the heat and starting to not, you know, but but anyway, I, I think it's. I think they they struck the right chord. I think the SEC and Big Twelve and ACC should look at this and say, "Yeah, we should follow in suit." Because the SEC is going through their own scheduling situation with they want to go with one or three, and in some cases, it's like, "Why don't you just protect the ones that matter and and then cycle through everybody else?" Like the way the Big Ten's doing it. Yeah, I like it. Look forward to it. You're going to have some wonkiness um, because of the geographical spread. Um, You could have, like Scott said, you know, potentially 
an East Coast team playing a late night game in California or Washington or Oregon. And then you may have one of those teams from the West Coast playing in their clock in their head at like nine o'clock in the morning back east. So those things are going to happen. Hopefully they avoid having them happen a lot. Um, But overall, I think they're off to a great start with this schedule and uh, looking forward to uh, hearing more about it and, and, you know, locations and days and times and things like that uh, as we move forward. Uh, Let's take a break here. I'll let folks know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI.org. That is SUI.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited for the great work uh, that they've done in the community for over 50 years and helping us here on the Hotspot Podcast. Here for more, some more of our sponsors here, and Scott and I will be back on the other side to actually talk about Iowa football. Hang in there. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. And we are back on the Hotspot Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors. We appreciate their support of the podcast. You can find a fresh Hawkeye-centric podcast pretty much every day of the week uh, during football season, Monday through Sunday. Some of those get shifted like this one did today. But for the most part, uh, we have seven, maybe more, and they cover most days of the week. So subscribe to the Hawk Fanatic feed and Smash that like button to help us out and all that good stuff. Scott, let's talk about Iowa football, actual <laughs> Iowa football. Uh, we have a quarterback change coming. We've got mm-hmm. uh, a former wide receiver now playing running back, coming back to Kinnick Stadium in Tyrone Tracy Jr. Um, interesting angles. This game, as we just talked about, kind of segueing in from our last conversation, um, this will be the 13th year in a row, I believe, Purdue and Iowa have played. Uh, And that streak, as we said, will come to an end next year because they will not be on each other's schedule again until 2026. Mm -hmm. So uh, long live legends and leaders rivalry, man, um, with Purdue. (laughs) Most hated rival, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, that is – there are things like this that kind of make me go, "Uh." Yeah. Uh, And I think – 
but you know, I, I'm sentimental a little bit for the old Big Ten anyway. You know, and whether it was the you know really the eleven, and I suppose twelve could have been worked out well too. Uh, way would have been great um, if it had that finished that way, but it, it's not that way. So I'm not going to waste my time whining about it. But but Purdue and Iowa have a history. They I think they played now ninety times. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that's a significant series in Big Ten history. And one of the most important games I wrote about it, I think it was during the COVID year, that um, went, because they let, they let off that season against one another was uh, Purdue in 1930 when Iowa was kicked out of the Big Ten for having a collective <laughs> and, and funneling cash uh, to its athletes. The hard. Uh, Yes. Oh my God. It was so terrible. 1927 <laughs> to 29. But, um, but when Iowa was doing that and got booted from the big 10, uh, Purdue, it, Purdue was the only team to say, we'll schedule you in football. That was the only time since 1917 that they haven't played Minnesota uh, was 1930 uh, because they were part of the, the guys kicking them out. And <laughs> so Purdue played Iowa. So did Nebraska. So did Penn state. So, you know, future members did, but, but alongside of that, I mean, there is some really fascinating history to the series. Things like, you know, it was at one point the longest streak in Big Ten history when Purdue beat Iowa 20 years in a row um, until I think it was the Rose Bowl year, uh, 1981. And they've they've had some really fascinating games over the years and, and some big um, upsets, as we saw two years ago. So there's some history here. We all kind of made fun of it a little bit, but, but when you see this team and you're going, eh, this is the last time you're going to play them. That's kind of too bad, you know, for a while, um, probably for all the players, maybe one or two kind of sticks around or something by 2026, but uh, I don't know, but they, they certainly going to be an, uh, an interesting matchup. No question. Yeah, it is. Both teams are one and one in the big, a very, um, What's the word I'm looking for to be coming here into the Big Ten West? A very uh, average? Pedestrian. Yeah, that's pretty much what the Big Ten West looks like this year. But that doesn't mean we don't have intrigue, because we do in Mm -hmm. the Big Ten West, because somebody's got to win, right? Right. Somebody has to win this division and play in Indianapolis in December. And this game, I mean, I think you can look at it and say, well, you know, Iowa shouldn't have to shouldn't have to beat Purdue to win this division. It should, you know, it, it should be a given that Iowa beats Purdue. But we know, as you said, diff, the, this game has been very unpredictable. Last year, I didn't think Iowa would win at Purdue, and Iowa pretty much dominated that game. And yeah. then there are other times um, yeah. where I think Purdue didn't have any business beating Iowa, and it's done so. Yeah. So th- that's what lends itself, I think, to good rivalries, matchups, series, however you want to put it. And I think we have the same thing going on here this week with, as I said, Iowa with Deacon Hill taking over at quarterback. We don't know how that's going to look. Purdue's got a new coaching staff and is trying to figure it out. We don't know how that's, you know, how that's evolving. We, we kind of see that, you know, it looks like Purdue's playing better, but we don't know. You know, it's a road game for them, their first road game, I think. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Or first Big Ten road game, anyway. They, yeah. They played their first two Big Ten games at home, so this is the first chance for their new quarterback 
to play a Big Ten road game in a hostile environment. Just a lot of different um, factors, elements of this game, Scott, that makes it intriguing to me. For sure. And um, I think you look at their first two games in the Big Ten, and you really wonder what team you're going to get. And and the question, the answer is we don't know because we don't know if they're if they're on a trajectory upward or if they're just mediocre and Illinois is worse. Yeah. Um, you know, or is Wisconsin that much better than them? You know, we'll yeah. find out next week. We don't know now though. They don't look. They haven't looked apart. We won't. You know, maybe they when they play Rutgers, it may be closer than we expect. But I think <laughs> when it comes to there, there's really one aspect that kind of scares me a little bit about Purdue and Iowa. And that is they have 17 sacks so far. I we, We've seen Iowa's offensive line and it has been very inconsistent. It's had a couple of games where it's run the ball really well. And it's had a couple of games where it's p- pass blocked really well, but it's never came in the same game before. And this is the type of opponent you really want to do that against both ways. Whereas you have a new quarterback and Deacon Hill because Cade McNamara tore his ACL and you want to make sure that he, uh, you know, they established the run that, that that way he's not pressured to, to pass and, and, and do those things, at least, you know, and inconsistently he could be there. But but then I think you look at, um, you know, Purdue, if they get after the quarterback like this and they come from all angles and all areas. Last week they had a corner blitz that forced a fumble on near the goal line and Illinois quarterback Luke Altmeyer fumbled and was recovered for a touchdown and, you know, they can cause a lot of problems. And if you have an in with a new quarterback, you know, that, that scares me if I'm Iowa. Now, if they can run the football and Caleb Johnson's back, which is a godsend for Iowa, if they can run the football and and keep them off balance, then Iowa has a better than average chance of winning this game. But, but I think that it's so unpredictable that it's really hard for me to come out definitively and say, Iowa's going to win six weeks ago. I thought so, but uh, things have changed quite a bit. And Ryan Walters is a fabulous defensive mind. And I know he's, I, I read his transcript this week from his press conference and he talked about Deacon Hill taking over for Cade McNamara. It's awful for Cade. Feel terrible yeah. that this has happened. Hopefully he comes back healthy next year. Um, but he talked about, you know, Deacon Hill, he he has the the basics of Deacon Hill, which is really strong arm, not as mobile as Mac. Yeah. Um, Deacon Hill looks more like Spencer Petrus and Nate Stanley. That's yeah. what that's more. And Cade McNamara is more C.J. Beathard, Drew Tatish. You know, just from a mobility standpoint, being able to to extend plays. I that's that's my concern as well, Scott is how is Deacon Hill, if there is pressure, which there will be some, and does the pressure become excessive? That's a bad, I think that's yeah. a bad formula for Iowa. And how does he deal with that? Does he make, Does can he get away? Can he shed pressure? Does he make bad throws because of the pressure? Things like that. Those are all, because I think bare bones here, Scott, and I wrote about this Sunday or Monday for my column, Iowa should be familiar with the position that it's in right now because it's been in this position the last two years. It's got an offense that it's just, I don't think at this point they can count on to win football games. You have to lean on defense and special teams, which seem to be improving. So 
from Deacon Hill's perspective and the Iowa offensive perspective, don't give up strip sacks. Don't let him get pressured and him make bad throws and turn the ball over that way. Basically, protect the football. Punting is winning. Allow your defense and special teams to work for you and don't put them in bad positions. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot. That's, you know, but the, the sad part is Rob, and this is where, where we live and what we report is that, I mean, this is not an, an offense that you can count on to win games. And that's the sad part because it's the most exciting part of football is having an offense capable of going up and down the field you know, whether either consistently or in vital and important situations. I don't know if Deacon Hill is capable of that. I haven't seen anything to make me think, yes, he's going to do that. I have to see it to believe it and probably see it in a couple of times to believe it. And it may and, take it may take a couple weeks through the bye week before he starts to really feel comfortable. Yeah. You know, the differences that I see, you know, I mean, the one thing was with, with Cade McNamara that's really unfortunate is that right quad injury robbed him and the Iowa offense of a lot of yeah. plays. I mean, you didn't see a lot of rollouts. You didn't see a lot of um, bootlegs with him. I mean, I think I saw, I remember one, you know, in the first four games, or I think it was one rollout. Um, that's something that Iowa likes to do with its quarterbacks, especially, you know, when it has zone and it's running outside slant to, to boot off of that and you drag a tight end and a wide receiver and uh, have those types of players that plays there and quarterback sneak, of course, none of that's available. Uh, so with Deacon Hill, it is. And last week he was able to do a lot of that. They did, they did quite a bit more rollouts and, and boots and stuff. His mobility is probably greater than Petrus, comparable, I would say, to Stanley. You know, he's size-wise, you know, he's built a little differently than Stanley, but but uh, he is kind of that big body, you know, there. And um, so I think, you know, he's got a really strong arm, but we know what strong arm guys like to do, especially early in their careers, which is show it off. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did that last week and it caused an interception. So, um, Purdue is a team that, you know, again, I think once you get past the, the explosiveness of their, uh, of their attacking that you can, you can neutralize that, you know, if you can block them, you can be pretty, you can, even Iowa can get some yards on them. Uh, next week might be the bigger challenge. I think it's Wisconsin, but can he do it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to predict it. I just don't know. Yeah, I, I uh, well, I'll, we'll give our predictions out later in the podcast when we do our picks after this segment. But um, uh, it, I, I think Iowa benefits from it being, uh, you know, maybe not. I was thinking, you know, if Iowa can muck it up and make it ugly and win with defense and special teams, but I'm not sure Purdue doesn't want that. I'm not sure Purdue wouldn't like. I think Purdue is fine if this game, Scott, goes into the fourth quarter and they're within a score. No question. Because they have they have an offense that can score. Iowa doesn't. Yeah. I mean, when you look at Hudson Card, he's he's a you know, he's he's put up some really good numbers and um, you know, he's a, he's a runner if he needs to be. I mean, he's you know, pretty fast. You've got good receivers and Deion Burks and Abdur Rahman Yassin. And uh, T.J. Sheffield, it, and then you have, of course, Tyrone Tracy, old friend in the backfield, and now is a running back. Um, their line isn't great, but, you know, I think their center is really good. And um, 
So they've got capable players. It's just, um, you know, can you neutralize them on offense? Yeah. I mean, if, if they play close to what they did last year, they absolutely will, um, you know, because their offense was much better last year, but it's still capable now. It, it's just going to be, it really comes down to me, Rob, if Iowa can run the ball and pass pro for the most part and, and if, and if he doesn't make any stupid mistakes or more than one, <laughs> uh, then then I think Iowa's got a really good chance of winning this game. But if if not, uh, I, I think they lose it. I really do. I think that just Purdue, you know, if Purdue dials up the blitz and they come from all directions and they thwart Iowa. And if if Iowa wants to play this game like punt ball, well, and it's six to six in the fourth quarter and everybody's laughing at both teams saying, oh, a typical Big Ten West game. I have more faith that Purdue can go down for the game-winning score than Iowa. Iowa checks in this week, 99th of 130 FBS programs in scoring offense at 22.2. The Boilermakers are at 72 with 28 points per game. Uh, So I would expect points to be at a premium, as uh, as do the odds makers, I believe. It's what's it at 38, 38 and a half, somewhere in there. So low scoring total. Um, yeah, it's uh, maybe it's the recipe throughout the rest of the Big Ten West schedule, Scott. But um, it's it's really, you know, who it, it's almost like let's let the other team make mistakes and take mm-hmm. advantage of them in a lot of cases because. Uh, the conference or the division right now is pretty offensively challenged. Uh, it's offensive and not in a good way. Yeah. Um, so it's going to take, you know, you, we saw last week, you know, Iowa in a predicament with a turnover by LeSean Williams that leads, yeah. you know, a scoop and score. That stuff cannot happen, whether it be the running backs or the quarterbacks or whoever. You cannot give points away. Mm-hmm. From as an offense to the other team because the other team's going to have a tough time getting points on its own against Iowa's defense and special teams. Right. I mean, you know, you look, <laughs> and this is the this is what Iowa's defense did. I mean, they allowed three field goals last week, you know, and you had a fumble that was returned for a touchdown against them. Now, uh, they actually put together one good touchdown drive and four field goals, Iowa's offense did. And then it had, of course, a uh, – well, and then one of the field goals was caused by the defensive forcing a fumble. And then you had uh, a defensive back return a punt 70 yards. So um, it kind of equaled out that way. But you just cannot – Iowa's offense isn't good enough. And Iowa isn't good enough to survive a minus two you know, turnover margin or anything like that in this game. And especially with a quarterback again, who has not started, uh, you know, a game until this week. And, you know, he's got a pretty fun personality, pretty laid back. I think uh, that may work. He's got the California kind of that, that California kind of cool. Yeah. A little bit. Right. You know, but you look at like Petrus was much more uh, serious at times, although he was, he was great. I, I still like Spence, but uh, you know, so we'll, we'll see what happens. It, it'll, he's, he's going to have the, the one thing I want to also worry about is I me mean, look at but the number of people that are in his ear right now uh, on, you know, you have Cade McNamara, he's out for the season. So he's going to want to share as much knowledge as he can. Spencer's there. He can do the same. Then you've got, 
you know, John Budmeyer and you got, uh, you know, Brian and you just got all these names and and Kirk, of course, Kirk. (laughs) So at some point you're like, man, you're going to, guys are going to just have to let him go out and throw. And even if he makes a mistake now, you know, do you want him to be aggressive? I kind of think that that's a, a strategy that might work. Uh, you know, why not on the first play of the game, throw it 60 yards, incomplete, as long as it's not intercepted, you know, throw it down the field, make Purdue know that we're coming after you. You be ready for us. We may not complete this one, but we're going to complete one and we'll have your ass for it. That's to me what, what you almost have to do with a quarterback like this. Now, I wouldn't do that next week. <laughs> next week's different, <laughs> but, but this week would be one I would do. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, you got to at least put the, 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 what do you call it? The seed in their head, Scott, that yeah. they're going, that Iowa's going to take some shots. Yeah. Cause right now, again, we've fallen into this. I don't even know if it's a pattern, but a, oh, yeah, point, it is. a point of teams just loading the box and not feeling threatened at all by Iowa's downfield game. And I know I know there's the rub there in this week, especially, Scott, how much time is he going to have to get the ball downfield with Purdue's pass rush? But you can't just abandon the idea and allow them to, to just sit there and stack the box. No question. Because if they, if they, you know, and this is part of Iowa's problem. And I went through it today and some of my tendencies and, and their personnel groupings, like they, they've gone through two plus tight ends, 72.7% of their plays. This is you know, Iowa this season. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Numbers that you looked up. Well, yeah, that I went through every single game. <laughs> yeah. You know, I watched the, it. If you want it more in depth, Scott's yeah. going to give you an overview here, but check out yeah. the story on the athletic about, because we all talk about Iowa being predictable. Yeah. Scott has numbers to back up that theory. It's, it's true. Um, and you look at, you know, so basically you're saying three out of every four offensive plays have two plus tight ends with them. And, so what do you do with it? And and the numbers haven't dropped that much without Luke Lachey. You know, you know it was like seventy six percent when he was still there. So it's you know it's one thing for them to say, well, yeah, but that was when we had Lachey and we had Eric Hall. I get that, you know. I mean, but but then when you look at conversely, the numbers back when Hawkinson and Fant were there was sixty one point eight percent. Oh, you, you had two first round tight ends and. Well, one was a specialist. One I guess. tight end, one specialist. Yes. Yeah, uh, but you know, you're still significantly playing more two yeah. tight end now than you did then. And you would I, figure when you have an injury to a, a your your best offensive player, you might need to adjust mm-hmm. and lean on maybe another wide receiver. Yeah, you know exactly. Yeah, I mean, especially in the passing game, and you know, and here's the other part of the problem is. There's only one personnel grouping where they operate out of both under center and in shotgun. And that's when they're at what's called 12 personnel, two wide receivers, two tight ends, and one running back. The rest of them, like when they're in a three wide receiver set, it's always shotgun. 71 plays, zero in in under center. Um, then there's, but then when they're like under uh, two tight ends, two backs, you know, fullbacks on the field or, or what they've run a lot of this year is, is 13 personnel, three tight ends, all of them under center. So it, there's no variation 
to center versus versus that depending on uh, you know so that that's just you're you're chopping what the defense needs to see in half immediately when you walk out on the field and you line up it's like under center okay we got this personnel grouping you know kind of what's going to happen then is there's no variation the most and, disappointing Part of that for me, Scott, is, and we've talked about this a lot in the offseason, the two last two offseasons where we talked about what can Iowa do offensively knowing that they're not just, just going to scrap the plan and the philosophy <laughs> and the tenets of what they like to do. I would at least had hope that they would vary personnel and formations and, and just try to be less predictable. And that's why reading your article makes me depressed. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> because those are the things that I that I thought they, they could adjust. They could yeah. tweak those tweaks that we talked about. What the hell are you tweaking if yeah. you're freaking under center all the time and giving the defensive coaches on the other team a, a blueprint to what the hell you're doing? Well, exactly. That's the problem. You know, when, when it's like, okay, we uh, every time there's two tight ends on the field, we're, you know, or the, that's three out of four plays. There's two tight ends on the field. So how are we going to defend that? Well, we know how, you know, and then when every time there's three wide receivers on the field, well, we know they're in shotgun. So their, their traditional running plays aren't going to work the same way. I mean, and then, then you start to get into first and second down and first and second quarter type things. And, and that gets really complicated but I'll say this, that here's the, the thing that drives me nuts that I've noticed pretty much consistently throughout Brian's career, and it's really the numbers speak to it is. His script is very good. You know, when he puts his... Why is that? Why does the script work and then shit just go to... It just goes in the shitter a lot of times after him. And it happens exactly the same way against Iowa's defense, too, if you notice. Yeah. There are a lot of times teams take the ball and they drive it on Iowa and they get, you know, field goal or they score or they even move it 60 yards. And you're like, man, it looks too easy. And then all of a sudden it's like second quarter, they get one first down, you know, right. stuff like that. And it's the same way for Iowa. Well, it's 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 kind of, you know, to, to mix analogies a little bit. It's like seeing a, bat, uh, a pitcher for the second time. But it's also – um, you're scouting, you think you've seen how they're going to come out and do things. So this is what we want to do to attack them. The problem is that when they come back, they circle back, as they say in bureaucracies, we're going to circle back to this, um, that they run the wrong play against it or the other team has seen it now and said, okay, now we know how to defend it because the first time they did it this way and now we're here. And and so it's it's the game of chess at that point. And it's like, yeah, I took your uh, rook and your bishop, but now you're killing me. <laughs> and, and and that's where there are adjustments. And then the tendencies come in. And you're like, oh, and, and that's why they're passing, uh, you know, first to second down passing numbers go from like first quarter, it's like 60% completion. Great. That's exactly what you want. Second quarter, it's like 33%. It's like 11 is 30. And you're like, why? Well, you get bogged down and you do too many things. And one thing I noticed, Rob, and that this is, again, the predictability. And this was one play, but it was at Iowa State. And it was 10 to nothing and early in the second quarter. And they're backed up on like their 13-yard line or something like that. And you had Caleb Johnson in there and you ran 22 personnel, two tight ends, a fullback, and a running back. 
And I can't remember, it might've been Caker that I turned to. And I said, this is the time to hit the home run. This is the time to play fake on first down and attack down the field. And what do they do? They hand it off to Caleb Johnson for a five-yard loss. And then it just played bog ball for the rest of the quarter. And that's just, it's just the differences that, that drive me crazy too, obviously. Yeah, disappointing with the the completion percentage not improving this year. You know, yeah. I figured that would be the one area that I felt pretty confident saying Cade McNamara would raise. But let's face it, and granted, he was not 100%. He hasn't yeah. been 100% the whole season. That hit – the Iowa offense didn't look good with him in there. Yeah. So, right. I mean, it's not like – Oh no, that's to me, that gives me, it's in an odd way, gives me more hope that, you know, I was hoping that eventually it would, it would kick in for Cade McNamara, but it still hadn't. Maybe this, maybe the defense and special teams that weren't as solid and had some growing pains earlier in this season, and they still have some question marks on both of those units, more defense, I think, than special teams, but, um, that the formula of just don't screw it up on offense, I think still was playing out even with Cade McNamara and it's going to continue now. And again, it takes out the element of what if Cade would have gotten healthy and things started to click with the offense. We'll never know now. um, Again, you know, the formula to win right now, Mm -hmm. how to win a very winnable division. Yeah. Yeah, this is the weakest it's ever been. And it's, and this is the reason why that it's going away. <laughs> I mean, if it was competitive, it would be different. But, uh, you know, the, the disparity between the East and the West. I mean, the four best teams in the league are in the East, Maryland being the fourth. And this week we might find out if Rutgers might be number five. You know, they play Wisconsin. So, uh, you know, it is very winnable. Um, it doesn't mean it's not going to be a laughing stock, but I think it is – the Penn state game kind of sealed it for me, Rob, that I went, yeah, this is no good that everything that I've tried to see, you know, I've tried to view it through their lens and some of the things that worked in the past that, that maybe uh, just depends on who's uh, out there trying to execute, you know, varies like, you know, I I think back like the 2020 year, the COVID year and without Alaric Jackson, you know, that offensive line does not look anywhere near. I mean, he is, in my eyes, Rob, over the last maybe 10 years, maybe longer, the most overlooked great player I had. Started he was four years at left tackle. That doesn't he, happen. He was a fucking badass at left tackle. And when it came to, you know, and, and more so in the running game, I mean, that's why you saw him run for more than four, six yards per carry because yeah. he – killed his guy almost every time and then the other parts were you, you, Iowa always had that senior usually in-state guy that kind of got it by the end and, and became a second team all-conference player you know a Ross Reynolds or you know Connor Buffelli was kind of that way Kyler or shot Kyler shot you know those types of dudes that you know when they're 22 23 and Iowa really hasn't had that and I look at this offense line I do actually think it's better than it is last year but it's just not what you expect. It's not, you know, you, you, I thought going in that you're going to see a much improved unit and we've seen a kind of improved unit. And then wide receiver, the disappointing part of that is 
that they've gotten as many targets this year as the tight ends in total. That just doesn't happen anywhere else in America except at Iowa. It's it's always two-thirds or more. I mean, the average number of targets per team at that position is is like six. I think the midpoint is God, it's it's 75% or something. I get it with Lachey, like you yeah, said. Yeah. I get I get it. You 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 use your best players. You put your player, your best players in the best position to help you win games. And right now, it just seems to me, and this is nothing against the tight ends beyond Eric Hall. Yeah. Why not Nico Regain or mm-hmm. Deontay Vines or Caleb Brown or go down the list of receivers? Why not some of those guys more often? Not just yeah. get away from two tight ends. You don't have to completely get away with it, but just be less predictable and vary up your personnel groups and mm-hmm. maybe lean on the wide receivers a little bit more. Right. And and then, of course, you have what happened last week. Right. And the drops <laughs> don't make a case for them. Yeah. 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 And that's the, the – but then that all – when you go start going – weaving this web and it's like, your receivers can't catch the freaking ball. Your, your line can't block either one or the other. It's like they can't walk and chew bubble gum. They can't either they either block for the run or block for the pass with, with you know accessibility. Your running backs are pretty good for the most part. Um, your quarterbacks hurt. Um, it's the passing game's inconsistent. You know your best players hurt in, in Luke Lachey. <laughs> and I think what the you- hardest part of it all, Scott, is we're two and a half years into this now. Yeah. And it's just, I think people are punch drunk from yeah. going through. It's a long time, two and a half years, to watch the same things. The ineffectiveness at wide receiver, the the lack of consistency on the offensive line, the inaccuracy of quarterbacks. I mean, yeah. it's just, I think it's a snowball effect at this point. Yeah, and that's why I understand, I completely get fans you know, everybody is are tired of it because it doesn't work. Fire Brian change. Yeah. You know, it's like you're last in the country or close to last in all these categories. And, oh, well, it's going to be fixed this year. It's going to be better this year. No, it's not. It's not better. And you went to the portal and you got all these people and then it doesn't work. You know, it's still the same and not worse, you know, and, and yeah, maybe they're good enough to win the West, but are they good enough to compete with a Penn State, a Michigan, or an Ohio State? No. Not at this stage, no. I mean, I don't know what they'll look like at the end of November, but not right now. I wouldn't want any part of Michigan right now. That yeah. would be ugly. Yeah, and you look at that, and it's like when you're Iowa, you feel like you should always be decent, you know, but you if you're you should also feel like Hey, give us the right day and we'll we'll take them down. We'll we'll throw down with these guys. And in the past, that's been the case. The last couple of years, it hasn't been because their offense is punchless. <laughs> just and we saw not, that against Penn State this yeah. year, and we saw that against Michigan in the Big Ten championship. Game. Right, just not on offense. You can't be competitive with. And last year at Ohio State may have been the worst of all. Yeah. Because of what, freaking eight turnovers or whatever it was. I mean, you know, they, they had like their lowest yardage output because in part I was defense is really good, but also because they had the shortest field, you know, to go. And so it's can, hard to get. You can do what Iowa does with the defense special teams carrying you to victory against teams like 
Northwestern and Purdue and even Wisconsin and Nebraska, mm-hmm. although it cost them against Nebraska last year. Yeah. But you ain't doing that shit against Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State. You're yeah. not squeaking by with defense and special teams. Yeah. And this this is the year where you look at you're the Iowa fan, and, and I and I think Iowa fans have gone from being skeptical to cynical, and I get it. It's frustrating for us to deal with sometimes, but you know, you just you're constantly you, you don't want to hear about it. You don't, you know, it's like, don't tell me about the labor, show me the baby. And the baby's still ugly, you know. <laughs> and it's yeah, like see the baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's just like, God damn it. You know, so I don't know. You know, does it you know, what would happen, you know, if they get a big point outburst, I would suggest that they avoid spiking the ball in the end zone in our faces on Saturday because next week it could be a, a six point turnaround, you know, meaning they get score six. So I, I just think it when you look at it and you look at all the deficiencies and whether it's the lack of development, lack of recruiting, uh, the portal not working, uh, the scheme not working, and then you add on to that the tendencies, then you start to go, man, they got to do something different here, you know, and then they're unwilling to do that. You know, what would be the one – Rocky go southpaw, you know, moment in the 15th round. It's, hey, you've got a defensive back who played quarterback and was one of the most electrifying players in in state history in high school. Why not put a wildcat package in for him? Well, we're worried about his pitch count, but you still complain about pitchers getting taken out after 100 pitches. You know, I'm sure Cooper DeGene could handle 10 snaps as a wildcat quarterback. And if not, if he gets a little winded, that's why you got backups like Deshaun Lee, you know. So now when you when you do have a quarterback like Deacon Hill, and if he goes 10 for 30 with three interceptions, you really have to think about that or your fan base will revolt. And it is so close. It's close between being very angry and very apathetic. And you want them angry versus apathetic, but <laughs> I don't know, Rob. I wish I had an answer. You know, Scott, putting – um Cooper on offense makes sense. It's thinking outside the box. It's getting away from ten- tendency and predictability. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see it, if it happens. Yeah. And that's not me trying to be cynical. That's me having covered this program for right. 27 years, 25 for <laughs> And understand, you know, you, you go through those early phases where you're like, oh, this could happen or yeah. that could happen in like 2010 or 2000, yeah. whatever. You're, we're 2023. We pretty much know what we're going to get from from Iowa. Yeah, and and that's the frustrating part because we've and lived. Everybody else knows too. Yeah, it's we've. Right. You know, you think back like 2016 when Matt Vandenberg went down with a broken foot. You know, and then you're like. Now what? They have other than Riley McCarron, they had no wide receivers because they had like Germanic Smith and guys who just couldn't play. And everybody was like, "What about Desmond King taking some snaps there?" You know, no. no back no. to two thousand four. Bob Sanders wanted to play running back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, why not? It's like, nope, we're not putting him at running back. And it's the it's that's we kind of just talk through the the history of what yeah. were, of the Cooper DeGene, you know, yeah. possibility. Didn't do it with Bob Sanders. Didn't do it with Desmond King. Are they going to do it with <laughs> Cooper DeGene? No. Yeah. We'll believe it when we see it. 
we know that that's not the case. And, but, and, and this is the, why it's just, it's infuriating. I'm not talking about him playing wide receiver, Rob. You know, that, that's zone element. They, they should be better than what they are, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm talking about him for Wildcat quarterback yeah. because, frankly, you, you make everybody makes it so difficult. When you're talking about a Wildcat possibility, it's get the ball, snap to you, fake the handoff, then or give the handoff. Then you can run with it. They've never even thrown off a Wildcat when they started doing it a few years ago. And they could went away. And then it went away. They haven't done it. Uh, other than last year, if you want to count Sam Laporta, you know, in the bowl game, which was yeah. just like, you know, and I'm like, well, maybe that gives me a glimmer of hope here. I don't know. But but if you can you imagine the reaction, let's say in the second quarter, and it's three to three. It's the second quarter. Outcomes Cooper DeGene to take snaps. What would the crowd at Kinnick Stadium feel like? What would Purdue feel like? Yeah. What the hell is going on? What do we do? The crowd would be on its feet like we've never seen it. Like, I know. Bigger, bigger than a game winning touchdown. Bigger cheers than Tory Taylor. Yes. <laughs> no, let's, <laughs> let, all right. No, let's, let's not get it carried away. But, but no, it's, it's, uh, if, because remember back when Marshall Kane ran that fake field goal in 2015, like first series of the game, and he came up short, but everybody gave him a standing ovation. Yep. It was like something different. Yay. Instead of eating a vanilla ice cream cone, we got a swirl. <laughs> um, you know, <clears throat> that would be, I mean, if he came out, ran a few plays out of that, and even if he left, there'd be another standing ovation for that just because. You know, and then people might say, wow, Brian's smart. You know, wow, Kirk, you're willing to do this. It doesn't even have to be that much, but it's it's just the thought. And then you put it on film. And then other people go, well, we, we don't know. That's his first snap, maybe against Wisconsin next week. Yep. They have to <sighs> something extra to prepare for. Right. But it's like, well, we're going to. Not two, three tight ends line up under center. It's it, Instead, we've got a, a well, well done steak with no steak sauce. <laughs> And that's tough to get down. Yeah. Let me tell you. I know. With no water, <laughs> no beer, no pop, no nothing. I am intrigued, Scott. I'm interested to see what happens now. Um, horrible for Cade. I feel terrible yeah. for the kid. And and hopefully he can get back next year. And hopefully it's here. And hopefully he can help this team. It seems like that's the plan now. Um, but for now, it's the Deacon Hill show. And we'll see how it plays against Purdue. And then... Next week, obviously, with him returning to Wisconsin, will be uh, that'll be a huge storyline and uh, his first road game and all that. We'll get into that next week. Now for the bad news, Scott. (laughs) Time for our picks that suck. That's what we're going to call this segment for the rest of this season. Scott and Rob's picks that suck. (laughs) Well, that was the case definitely last week when we were two and five. Right now, I, I still have a three-game lead on you from the previous week, but I'm 29-24-1. You're 26-27-1. So that was a definitely a segment that sucked last week. Yeah, no doubt. What were we last week? Two and five. Hmm. We, we all – yeah, we picked the same one. So I think you joked at the end that we're either going to go uh, swing or swim, and, boy, we were like the Titanic last week. <laughs> Uh, All right, we're 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 in this for a comeback this week. Yeah, get All on right. board. 
Get on board, man. Well, first one is the game tonight at Champaign Supernova, Illinois. Nebraska at the Mighty Illini. They are a three and a half point favorite. The Illini are. And over under is 43 and a half. Rob, what do you think? Man, I've been wrong on Illinois this year. I certainly thought they would. uh, I thought they'd be better than they are right now. Um, This is a really tough game, though. I am going to go with Nebraska because it's three and a half. Okay. Um, I think this is a defensive battle, um, not a lot of points. So in that case, I'm going to take the three and a half. You've been that way when it's come to Illinois. I've been that way when it's come to Nebraska all year. I think I was like, yeah, they're going to beat this team they lose. Or they're going to at least cover last week against Michigan. I thought, oh, they compete. Oh, they didn't even compete. They They did not compete. They look like Glass Joe in in old uh, (laughs) Mike Tyson's punch out. (laughs) Uh, Dating myself here. But um, I'm going to go one more time with the, the mighty Huskers. Um, I'm going to take the Huskers in the three and a half. Um, I see this a, like 17, 14, 2017, something yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, Illinois is, I think the most disappointing team in the big 10, you yeah. know, cause I, I, with their schedule, their only crossover against one of the big three was Penn state at home. They played that one. All right. But then the rest of them, they haven't played very well. So I'm going to go, you know, last week getting blown out by Purdue 44, 19 really sours me on the line. I, so I'm going to go with Nebraska. Um, The big noon kickoff is Maryland at Ohio state, Ohio state minus 19 and a half. Both teams are undefeated and the over under is 57 and a half. I'm going to go with based on, the against the spread i'm going to go with maryland I, I don't think they went outright but 19 and a half is a lot to give up i think this could be i would probably take the over as well um 57 and a half i think this could be a high scoring game but you know it could be in the neighborhood of 52 to 35 or something like that so but i'm going to take the terps i'm with you i think that's too many points i think ohio state's the better team and will win at the shoe but i think this line reflects more people not respecting Maryland yet yeah. Um, and the Ohio state name brand. Yeah. Um, but I think these cl- teams are closer than 19 and a half points. Yeah. Like I said, if Maryland was in the West, I think they might actually go to Indianapolis. So yeah, I think I agree with you. Yeah. That's sad and scary to think um, up the road where we'll be next week. Rutgers at Wisconsin over under is 44. The Badgers are 12 and a half point favorites here. And the weird part about this game, Rob, to me is that I could, I could either see Wisconsin blowing out, you know, t- like they always do, you know, 44 to seven or something like that. Or I could see it being a field goal at the end of the game, you know, flipping in the air. And I don't know. I, I'm not saying I'm sold on Shiano as, turn around uh, Rutgers into something that they're not, but I think they, I think 12 and a half is a lot for me on this one. So I'm going to go with, with the Rutger Howers. I'm going to differ with you for the first time this week and take uh, and throw the 12 and a half Wisconsin coming off a bye. Rutgers traveling halfway across the country. Um, mm-hmm. Madison. Um, I think Wisconsin's starting to figure it out a little bit. I, I I think this this is a tough line, and I don't love this game, and I would never play this with real money. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to go with the home team in this one. Okay. 
All right, next one, and there is no line. I've checked it everywhere, and it's understandable, so it's kind of like free space on the Monopoly board. Uh, Howard, <laughs> Cosell. Cunningham. Yeah, Cunningham. Yeah, Howie Long uh, at Northwestern. For, it's homecoming for the Mighty Wildcats. I'm going to take uh, – I'll just give it a free space here because there just isn't a line. I'm going to go with Northwestern. So. Yep, I will as well. It, it, it's a mess in Evanston right now, too. Yeah, yeah, but they, you know, they last week they put I'm up a fight about outside of the program. Yeah, oh yeah, with right. the legal with issues the, and stuff going on. And yeah, seeing Pat the guy, the guy that was at Kinnick Stadium last. Yeah, week. right. Uh, <laughs> I have pictures of him with a yeah. lot of people, Scott. Yeah, that I published. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I took, <laughs> I did publish them. I sent them away, but, but uh, I well, he's walking, and I'm like. Fitz. I'm like, hey, what? yeah. He's like, hey, what's going on, buddy? And I'm like, um, nothing. How, how's your family? I'm like, you know, he's kind of like, I don't want to talk here. You know, he, we know each other well, so it's like, okay. All right, uh, the night game on NBC, um, Big Ten Saturday night, Michigan minus eighteen and a half at the Mighty Gophers of Minnesota. So this one. Minnesota has not played great. Let's put it that way for a long time. I don't think, but you know, they last week they they kind of stumbled through. I'm going to go with Michigan, even though early in the season I Michigan screwed me every week. It seemed like on the spread, but that's when it was like 35 or 38 points. I think 18 and a half on the road. Um, they look pretty good right now. Yeah, seeing what Michigan did at Nebraska last week and how Minnesota has not played well this year. Um, that number almost seems low, yeah. Uh, but um, so I'll throw the eighteen and a half as well, and uh, stick with our theory that uh, the teams <laughs> in the East are are far and away better than the teams from the West. Yeah, I think we're there. And then it comes down to the game we cover. It's not a big week. There are three teams with buys. Uh, Purdue at Iowa, the last line I just checked a few minutes ago, 39 and a half on the over-under. And Iowa is it's is still the favorite, but only a point and a half instead of what it was like three and a half earlier this week. That said, um, I, I can see this going either way. And I can see a lot of scenarios. It's like that 5-12 game in the NCAA tournament where you're like, yeah, it could go either way. And uh, even though I was just leaning the other way all week, I am going to take Iowa. Um, I don't know why. I'm stupid, I suppose. But I, I think Iowa can maybe play its best game of the year and kind of put some stuff together. Um, if they can neutralize the pass rush, they can run the ball. They dominated them last year. Then I think this could be a nice win for Iowa. But I, I am really struggling with this one. Yeah, it's tough. You know, what we talked about at the top of the preview uh, in the, you know, our preview segment of this game is just a lot of unknowns. Deacon Hill, uh, Purdue new coaching staff, you know, what, just a lot of factors that were just, it's hard to handicap. Yeah. Uh, I like to hit folks with the trends each week. Purdue is two and five against the spread in its last seven games. The Boilermakers are five and one against the spread in their last six games against Iowa. The total has gone under in five of Iowa's last six games against Purdue, and the Hawkeyes are six and one against the spread in their last seven games against an opponent from the Big Ten West. 
So some numbers for you to consider when you're placing your wagers. I have Iowa winning this game, Scott, 19 to 10. Wow, that's pretty decisive. It's going to be ugly. Field goals, (laughs) and it's going to feel like football real weather for the first time this year on Saturday. I kind of welcome. Um, I'm looking forward to it just being a little cooler. Yeah, me too. Having that football feel to it. But uh, I don't know. Call me a homer or whatever. I think Iowa's the better team here. Um, I thought in kind of a toss-up game last week with the quick change of McNamara going out and Hill coming in, that the Kinnick Stadium crowd once again was a factor with pre-snap penalties on Michigan State. Uh, You've got a new coaching staff, a new quarterback for Purdue, a lot of new offensive linemen. I think the crowd can affect them again and help (laughs) Iowa. Uh, If this game was in West Lafayette, I wouldn't be as confident, Scott, but I I feel pretty confident about Iowa winning this one. I've kind of flipped back and forth, and I went with Iowa 20-16. to I think it's – it's a low-scoring game, obviously. <laughs> so we're both on the under. Yeah, both so on if the you're under. Play, I think if I was playing this game, the under would be the play. I'd play Iowa under every single week because <laughs> – no, I mean, seriously. Unless like, you're a student athlete. Yeah, right. I wouldn't play – I would hope not to play them. But, but, you know, you look at throughout the whole season, you know, at the end of the season, it, my guess is 10 or 11 times it's they're probably hitting the under. So you're at least winning, you yep. know, way more than you're losing. So – but anyway, yeah, uh, that's where I'm going to go. So here we are. <laughs> yes, that is uh, 2.30 uh, on Saturday. And hopefully you've heeded the warnings of this thing is streamed on Peacock, folks. I know people are going to be freaking out Saturday morning that they're, where can I get the game? How do I get this Peacock thing and all that? Do it now. <laughs> Make sure yeah. you don't get stuck later on. This is a new age. It's a new world. And Peacock is here to stay. And you need to get on board with it if you want to watch the Hawkeyes. Right. If you don't, if you want to boycott it, that's up to you. If you're going to the game, whatever. Uh, but it is 2.30 Saturday on Peacock. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to have a lot of basketball on Peacock, too. So, you know. Get with it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Rob. Well, this has been fun, man. <laughs> yeah, another week in the books, Scott. We'll probably be back on Thursday next week. We'll see how things shake out. It's a busy time for all of us. Now we've, we're folding in the basketball seasons as well. So we'll do our best to stay on regular schedule, but we'll let you know if there are any programming changes. I apologize for the late notice yesterday, but my head yeah. is in a lot of different places yeah. right now. And uh we made it. We did it, yeah. and we appreciate everybody listening. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you um, to Scott for coming on. Thank you to the Pope. Thank you to <laughs> Mother Teresa. Thank you yeah. to everybody. Uh, enjoy the game Saturday. Be nice to each other, and Scott and I will talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.